Trouble in the home group. Strife and trouble in the home group. You know, I once went to a, a home group where all the people were, were gathering together, and there was a young mother in the group who had brought in her six-month-old, and we were all oogling over the baby, how cute it was. The mother was commenting on how bright the child was, how well-behaved, and what a sweet nature the child has. And the home group leader, all of us looking at the baby, was looking along, and the home group leader said, yeah, it's hard to tell how dark his black little heart is. So uh, those of you who are, you know, thinking about joining a home group, this is what you can expect <laughs> if you join a home group. But the mother was very offended at that. She was like, how dare you say this about my sweet little, you know, such a beautifully natured little child. How dare you say this about him? Now, the home group leader didn't mean anything by it. He was just, he was just stating, really, the, the doctrine of original sin, right? The covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation, sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. He was just doing it with some pizzazz. He was just doing it in a very expressive way, but she would not have it. She was very offended, got miffed. There was all this trouble in the, in the, in the home group and, and things like that. So, um, on the other hand, uh, you have someone like Kathy Keller, who, you know, the wife of the famous uh, preacher, Tim Keller, who once said to me, she said, you know, Sam, she said, I think that God made babies so cute so we don't strangle them <laughs> because they're so demanding, right? But it is hard when they're young, right, to tell what's going on with them. How do we know what's going on with, uh, with our children, right? Well, we're going <laughs> to... We're talking about parenting, these days because we're reading through the book of Samuel. Okay? And Samuel is about the making of this new covenant, the covenant of dynasty. It's about a covenant of God had this long plan that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve when he was working to bring his kingdom to earth, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And he did this by a series of covenants and he got for them a people, and then a law, and then a land, and there was one more thing he needed to make the kingdom, and that was a king. But kings die. So God made this covenant, really not just a covenant of kingship, but a covenant of dynasty, in which he promised his people there would be righteous rule through all generations. And so from, from going from one generation to the next, the book of Samuel that describes the forging of this covenant turns out to be, fortuitously, consequently, about parenting, right? Because if you're going to have righteous rule through all generations, you're going to have the faith or the righteousness passed from one generation to the next. And so it ends up being very practical for us. It gives us lessons of the parenting. And so we've been having a little mini-series as, as we've been going through this series on Samuel We've had this sort of mini-series within that on parenting. And if you're counting, this is message number four of five that we're doing on the lessons of parenting. 
And what's, what I find to be terrific about Samuel, when you look at Samuel from this perspective, is that it is really giving us the broad themes of parenting. It's very practical in telling us what's important, the big things that are important in parenting. Not every single decision that we're going to be making as parents, but, the, but the, the, big, the big themes of parenting, the things we need to hit, and the things that really go wrong when we don't hit them. So the large themes of parenting. And I realize, you know, why this is good for us, especially as a congregation, because I know that you all are in very different positions. Some of you have toddlers. Some of you have teens. Some of you have adult children that you're still chasing around. Uh, some of you have adult children that have children, right? And some of you don't have any children, but you have parents. And I find that for all of us, in the different places that we are, there are important lessons for us to see about parenting. And the principles, even what we're going to be reading about here today, is David's uh, adult children. David's in what we would call the out-of-the-barn phase, um, but even those principles that we see are applicable to us earlier, in earlier stages or different stages. So we have some very upsetting events to read about and then David's response to those events which show us the need, the earth needs this covenant because of what we could call dynastic succession of sin. Please stand with me as I read from 2 Samuel chapter 13. And we're going to be reading most of the chapter. We're going to have a few sections we don't read for time. But we're going to start in verse 1, again, of 2 Samuel chapter 13. I'm reading in the NIV version. If you want to follow along, it's in your bulletin. Or it's up on the screen as well. Let's read. <clears throat> in the course of time... Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. And on to verse 6. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar in the palace. Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't, do, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he, he was stronger than she, he raped her. And on to verse 20. Her brother Absalom said to her, 
Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her, brother, her brother's Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom never sent a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister, Tamar. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep shearers were at Baal Hazor, near the border of Ephraim, he invited all the king's sons to come there. Absalom went to the king and said, Your servants has had shearers come. Will the king and his attendants please join me? No, my son, the king replied. All of us should not go. We would only be a burden to you. Although Absalom urged him, he still refused to go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon come with us. The king asked him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him. So he sent with him Amnon and the rest of the king's sons. Absalom ordered his men, Listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, Strike Amnon down. Then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. While they were on their way, the report came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons. Not one of them is left. The king stood up, tore his clothes, and lay down on the ground. And all his attendants stood by with him, with their clothes torn. But Jonadab, son of Shimeas, David's brother, said, My lord should not think that they killed all the princes. Only Amnon is dead. This has been Absalom's express intention ever since the day Amnon raped his, his sister Tamar. My lord, the king should not be concerned about the report that all the king's sons are dead. Only Amnon is dead. And let's go on to verse 36. As he finished speaking, the king's sons came in wailing loudly. The king, too, and all his attendants wept very bitterly. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of Amihud, the king of Geshur. But King David mourned many days for his son. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Yes, some very disturbing events. We learned this morning, sadly, from counterexample, not by example here, but about David's failure. David fails to result to, um, to parent in the way that he should, resulting in his children's rape, his children's death, even, ver- even worse, children's fratricide. fratricide right? So David is, is being ineffectual here, right? And in the narrative, 
He is somebody who's being acted upon. He's not an actor here. It's a very sad situation. He's lost something. He seems to be unable to act with moral authority. But one thing he hasn't lost is his feelings, right? Verse 31, he tears his clothes. And you see in verse 36, his great emotion that he's showing. It's not that David doesn't love his children. Verse 37, look there, he's mourning Amnon there. Verse 39, goes on to the next chapter, chapter 14, verse 1. He, his heart longs for Absalom. So the problem here with David is not a lack of love. This is a, an important kind of point for us because we might love our children and still not be giving them what they need. And that's David here. This passage is all about what David doesn't do. You know? So we could call these sins of omission that David commits here, what David is not doing. So what I want to do with you this morning is look at this passage and bring out three sins of omission that we could see in David's parenting. Three things that he does not do. Number one, David fails to be appropriately suspicious. Doesn't he? He fails to be appropriately suspicious. Now, in verses 6 through 7, you see he is not wary, apparently, of Amnon's request for Tamar. And he just believes Amnon's statement, his claim that he's sick. Well, this is a classic parenting problem, isn't it? I mean, you go back to the very beginning and early stages of parenting, right? It's a big decision. Is the kid really sick, right? I know some of you, you agonize over that, right? You're agonizing. Is, is it really sickness? When we say, oh, my tummy is upset, right? Is it really sickness? Is the kid sick, right? Same problem. And what is that, that a time? That's a time to be appropriately suspicious, right? And you're, you, I know you're, you're, you don't want to do the wrong thing. You, don't want, to, you want to make sure your kid gets what, get, gets what your kids need. At the same time, you need to be appropriately suspicious. Now, my mother was a tough Irish gal, right? and she brought that into her parenting. And she was tough. And she was you know, trying to raise these four kids, and she just made a rule. This was her rule. And she stuck to it. The rule was, if you are sick in the morning, you are sick all day. So you are confined to your bed for the entire day. Doesn't matter. Not just for school, but when the kids are outside in the afternoon playing, and I, I guess I need to explain that, right? So it used to be that kids would go outside and play. It was a thing, really, you know. But anyway, if, if you were in the outside in the afternoon, the kids were playing, you had to stay in your bed. And, you know, that created a real calculus for us about whether we were going to be sick that day, you know, whether to put the penny under the, under the tongue, right? She, she meant it, and she stuck by it. So that was an example, I think, of being appropriate. But uh, David is not, right? He could have said, all right, you're asking for Tamar, right, to make some bread. And, you know, making bread is a very strenuous uh, exercise, a lot of, you know, action, activity. So you can, you can figure out what's going on there. 
But David could have said, all right, you want that? Yeah, Tamar will come, but I'll come too. Okay? And none of this everybody out of the room stuff. Right? Could have done that. Does not do that. And then the situation with Absalom, verse 23 through verse 27, he says, I'm having a sheep shearing. Sheep shearing in ancient times, that meant having a party, right? Sheep shearing was party time. So he's having this party. And what do we want to have? You know, if you want to interpret the Bible well, you should always be asking yourself, what do I want to have happened here? Like, if only this had happened, right? And what do we read this and we say, if only David had not allowed uh, Amnon to go to Absalom's house without him. That's what should have happened, right? But um, there's no, you know, suspicion on David's part. With all this discussion about who's going, right? There's no, David doesn't pick up anything that's kind of fishy here. It seems like he does. He asks the question, oh, why are you saying Amnon? But then it doesn't go anywhere, what is David doing there in verse 26? David is settling for the pleasant explanation of the child's motivation, right? And that's what, there's always a usually pleasant explanation for our child's motivation, which is what we want to go to, right? We want to think well of our children. And so there is a pleasant explanation here. Well, the fact is that Amnon is next in line for the succession to kingship. So if David isn't going, then, you know, have, have the next guy go, Amnon, right? It's like instead of the president going, the vice president goes, right? It's his representative. So that could be the explanation there. But then should David have really, he could have st still gone with Amnon, you know? Should he have let him go by himself without him there? No way. No way. So this is us, friends, sometimes, right? This is where, this is one tendency that we have as parenting is to not be appropriately suspicious because we want to affirm our kids, right? But let me tell you, this is what we need to do as parents always. We need to hold out before our children the love of God and, and at, at, on the one hand. And on the other hand, at the same time, we need to hold out the holiness of God. That means we need to communicate to them the love of Christ, and at the same time, we need to be able to hold their sin in front of their eyes. And we do that with appropriate suspicion. So here are examples of where there's affirmation. There should be affirmation and at the same time suspicion. Right? In verse 22, when Absalom takes Tamar into his house, right? That was good. And at those times, as parents, we should be all over that. David should have been all over that. Like, this is good, Absalom. You're caring for your sister here. You should be angry on her behalf. That's appropriate in this case. We don't have, you know, a record of David affirming here. But um, at, he should be affirming uh, Absalom here, where, where Ab Absalom is doing well, but also suspicious because, you know, if if Amnon is out of the way, who is next in line in succession for the kingship? It's Absalom. So it requires some suspicion here. So it's true, you know, if we harp on our children's sins all the time, what they're doing wrong, because we have to be correcting them, it seems, all the time, so much, then they can get discouraged. 
So we don't want to do that. We want to be able to affirm. <clears throat> but we also have to realize that being suspicious is part of the job. Right? So that's number one. Fails to be suspicious. suspicious. Number two, in addition to being appropriately suspicious, David fails to intervene. He fails to intervene in an important matter with his children. Verse 21, David hears and he's furious, right? We read that. That's great. He hears and he's furious about what's happened. He should be furious. Absolutely. Then what do we read? Verse 23. Two years later, excuse me? Two years later, l'shenatayim yamim. Literally, two years of days later, nothing has happened. So that's pretty clear. No consequences for Amnon. No care, it seems, for Tamar much less Absalom. He's just not engaged. And in all of these exchanges, verse 24 to 27, what, what is not happening is the shepherding of Absalom's heart. Why? What is David thinking? Maybe he's thinking, you know, the, the siblings will take care of it. You know, they'll, they'll work it out on their own. Maybe he has kingly duties that are distracting him. Maybe you know, they're in the later stage of parenting. He doesn't want to push the child away. But never a good excuse here for failing to intervene at any stage in parenting. See, David is becoming like Eli. Remember where we began with the first lesson in the book. There are, there are Phineas's and Hopneys in David's own household now that he is not restraining. And the princely abominations are reaping destruction. And it <clears throat> ends up in deaths of Amnon and Absalom and Adon Adonijah, failure to intervene. Do we do this in our parenting? Yes, we tend to do this in our parenting. How does it happen? Well, time starts to slip by and we, are, uh, make, we end up making our relationship with our children about everything except shepherding their hearts. And we may feel emotional about our children, right? Doesn't mean we're being a good parent. We may be furious with them. Right? We may have intense feelings about them, but we're not doing anything. We're not intervening where we need to intervene. I'm not talking about hovering about over your children all the time. I'm talking about matters of import that require our intervention. Why? What's going on in our heads? Perhaps we're thinking, well, they'll, they'll work it out with their siblings. Or perhaps we have kingly duties that are distracting us. Or perhaps we fear that we might push them away. Perhaps you're saying, you know, I, I see some of these situations happen in my household, maybe serious situations, and you're saying, I can't handle this. I don't know what to do about it. 
I don't know how to handle this myself. It's like, it's like beyond me, this particular situation in parenting. Well, let me tell you something. That's parenting. That's parenting. To be in a situation that feels like it's beyond you to be able to address, that's parenting. And you need to understand that God has chosen you, specifically you, to be in this child's life. He has chosen you. You need to have that faith to understand God has put you in that situation. Even if you feel like you are not doing it and don't know how to do it, he has put you in the situation to do that. So you are the one to do it, and we can help, you know? I keep uh, saying this. There are many excellent parents in this church who can help you, who can give you advice, give you some perspective about this. But not, that's number two. Number one, failure to be appropriately suspicious. Number two, failure to intervene. And number three here, David fails to insist on reconciliation. He fails to insist on reconciliation. He fails to make sure reconciliation is happening within his family, among the siblings first, and then with himself as well. You say, well, how could, how could reconciliation be involved here? These are serious matters. These are serious things that have been done. Rape and, and murder, like this is a serious situation. Listen, there is always a solution. There are always steps to make towards reconciliation that could be done. Justice for Tamar, care for Tamar, consequences for Amnon, all different ways that this could have been addressed at every stage. And each one, David misses the opportunity to do it. Even after the murder, you know, there could have been, should have been a plan to get Absalom back. And you can tell that in the narrative. You know, Absalom's there for two years, then he's there for three years, right? This story goes on, it's in the next chapter. I encourage you to read chapter 14, where still David is not bringing him back. Finally, he is convinced by his general, Joab, to bring Absalom back. He still won't see him. And then there's this final, eventually he comes back and he kisses Absalom. But what we don't see is any repentance or justice. And that itself leads to the tragedy of the latter part of the book, Absalom's rebellion. So the seeds are being planted here for the ending, the sad ending of the book. So what does that mean for us, friends? It means that we need to have peace as a priority in our household. Right? Not a smoothing over of things, but peace. A coming to a place of reconciliation with one another and then with you as well. And this we set the pattern for when they're young. You know, I remember when my, my two boys were six years old and four years old. And they, they were disgusted with one another. They had had it. They were done. It was like, I am not having this person in my life anymore. You could see it in their eyes. Six years old, four years old. What did they need at that point? What was needed? What was needed is to take each of them, to counsel them, and say, you know, I see what's going on here, and you need to appropriately grieve your disappointment with your brother. 
and you need to dispense appropriate distance and consequences while you are forgiving him and remaining in the relationship. That's what they needed. You need to dispense appropriate distance and consequences. You need to grieve your disappointment. You need to forgive, and you need to remain in the relationship. And that needs to be happening in our families and become a pattern. But even after, afterwards, when you're out of, in the out-of-the-barn phase like this, there's still work to be done to make sure there's reconciliation uh, between your uh, children as well. And in, in households where offenses are never addressed like this, after the parents die, children never talk to each other again. We see that happens very sad, right, when it happens. But it starts here. You know. Even more important, there needs to be reconciliation with you. Now, I know some of you deal, are dealing with very difficult situations, some of you with your, even your grown children. And sometimes it's not possible Sometimes you aren't able, you're being shut out. So as the New Testament tells us, so far as it's possible, so far as it's possible, seek peace. So long as that is on your radar, then you are on the, on the right track. That there needs to be reconciliation there that you're seeking. But that needs to be the priority. So what is going on here? What is it that David is missing? Because, you know, we read this, and I know you, you read this and you look at it and you say, I can see what David should be doing. Maybe I don't know what to do in my situation, parenting, but I could see what David should be doing. This is obvious, right? I know what he should be doing. I'm looking and seeing the, the opportunities that he's missing here. Why did David so fail? What's underlying his parenting failures? And you know what really is there. David cannot face what's going on really with his children. It's too much darkness. It's too much darkness to, to lean into. You know, kids have a way, let me tell you, of manipulating their parents' weaknesses. You know? So Amnon worked David into the middle of his scheme with Tamar. And Absalom did the same. So David's in a situation where he has to face something, but he's limited by his own past. How can, how can David discipline Amnon for rape when David knows he's done something just as bad? How can David handle Absalom's murder of Amnon when David himself is a murderer? He's paralyzed. And this is what I mean. This is what David has lost after his sin. And this is the real wages of sin in our lives is that it makes me insensitive to things that lead to harm. 
it paralyzes me to be able to act as a parent. But David himself is compromised by his past to a point where he can't act. Now, in some way, friends, this is the same for us. You know this, right? As a parent, your limitations as a parent, the way we fail as parents are because of our own sinfulness, right? We are imprisoned in that way by the succession of sin in our lives. So we need to go back to the covenant. God swore righteous rule through all generations, not dependent on David's righteousness. How? How did he do that? How does he do that? By parenting. He does it by parenting us. Our Father sent Jesus Christ to bring us the truth about ourselves. He was appropriately suspicious of our real situation. He was willing to put who we really are in front of our eyes. And our Father intervened instead of turning away. He intervened by sending Jesus Christ to do what needed to be done. That's love. And our Father insists on our reconciliation with himself through Christ's death and resurrection. He came to parent us out of our prison that we occupy with David. Because this is the real reason underlying these, these sins of omission is not being able and not wanting, not being willing to get in there with the long-term solutions that our children need. Solutions over years to walk with them. Maybe, you know, sure, send Amnon to prison, but love him in the midst of that to address the needs that our children have because it's too dark, because of darkness. But when we get a hold of the Father's truth, his intervention, his reconciliation in a deep way. We're set free from this prison that we're in as well. We share with our children their wicked little hearts. But when we are set free, then we're able to parent because we have been parented in the right way by God. And that gives us the moral courage to get in there and stay in there with our children in spite of us so that some of you feel like, you know, I'm not doing it right. Listen, if, you're, if you are in there with them, if you are taking these three opposite tracks that David did, then even if you're not doing it right, you're doing it right. <laughs> you're doing what you need to do. Even if you feel like you're not adequate to the job, you're doing it right. You're doing what they need. One of the most valuable things that I've had in my child rearing is being able to share the need for forgiveness with my children. Because we do share their need for forgiveness with them. 
Jesus Christ, friends, is the king who would finally fulfill this covenant and make a way for righteousness for our future generations. We share their wicked little hearts with our children, but we also share the Christ who breaks the dynastic succession of sin. Let us come and receive him now for our families.